gentlemen, I uh, want to welcome you to yet another session of SACPA. I don't know what number it is, but it must be in the thousands. And this is a very special, special place for you to be. Obviously, it is. So many of you came and you denied yourself the pleasure of the Olympics. So this is even more important than the Olympics. This is terrific. Uh, just show to show how intelligent you all are. Uh, I'm the moderator today. My name is Klaus Jericho. Um, and um, we have a, a very special program today. It is a, a very important program. But first, I have to uh, make a few housekeeping announcements, which you are familiar with, no doubt. I ask you to turn off your cell phones because the, uh, the uh, program is recorded for your future enjoyment. And I ask you to contribute $11 to the basket. Um, and surely we don't begrudge that because uh, the tables are set beautifully by Country Kitchen and the service is wonderful, the foods are wonderful. So uh, we acknowledge the contribution of Country Kitchen. We acknowledge the uh, contribution of the University of Lethbridge for their communication excellence and chore broadcasting and the Lethbridge Health. So without further ado, I will uh, now explain to you why, the, why I chose this subject. I have a family friend in, close to Champion, and they, they farm 6,000 acres, and it's a family operation. They have uh, three family members, and they hire two extra hands, and they produce 5,000 tons of seed, food, seed, a year. For you and me to be nourished. I mean, this is five people producing 5,000 tons. And of course, they couldn't do that without fossil fuel, or they couldn't do it without, uh, without um, fertilizer. And the light went on, they couldn't do it without pesticides either. So when I saw the uh, uh, entire journal, of science um, on the on August the 16th devoted to pesticides. Oh, I said this is a subject for SACPA. People need to know the importance of pesticides. Of course, indirectly we talk about pesticides all the time when we go shopping. We buy organic, and, and, and but do we really know what we're dealing with? So I said to myself, I'm going to find a speaker for this for this session because it's so important. So I thought because of its importance, I bet I would be dozens of specialists, academic specialists in Alberta. So I'll go on the internet and one person shows up. And that's Dr. Claudia Sheehy from the research station here on the east end of town. And I asked Dr. Claudia Sheehy, well, are there any others in Western Canada? And she said, no. I don't know, how many are there in Ottawa? Oh, she said, just a few, some of them retired. So most of the academics, the research types, reside within industry. They're hardly any outside industry. So that's the nature of the game, and that's the background. And um, Dr. Shady, well-educated and trained in chemistry, analytical chemistry, she is here to tell us about the past, present, and future of pesticides. It's a fascinating subject. Now, she is not a toxicologist. 
But keep this in mind when you answer your question. Meaning she is not in the business of assessing and studying the harm pesticides do. Her main job is to analyze residues of minutest bit dimension, the spectrum of spectroscopy. So that's that's her job. But I, of course, she is diverse enough to ask to answer many of your questions. So, Dr. Sheedy, would you please come up and tell us all about pesticides in about 25 or 26 minutes, please? In the microphone, please. Is that there? A little bit closer, please, to the microphone. Yes. Yes, that's right. Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, thank Sackcloth for inviting me and also for providing this opportunity to talk about pesticides. And I'm glad to see that uh, pesticides are of interest to so many people. Um, I guess I should say that uh, I moved to Alberta eight years ago to uh, begin my career as a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada here at the Lethbridge Research Centre. Uh, Western Canada agriculture is very different from uh, what I grew up with. And uh, what I have to say, it's been a, a great experience so far, both working and living in Alberta and in Lethbridge. Can you stay to the mic? We're just recording. We're recording this, so, yeah. Um, I thought, as a starter, we should uh, look at two definitions those of pesticides and of pest. Um, if you look on Wikipedia, the definition for pesticides is any substance meant for attracting, seducing, destroying, or mitigating any pest. Um, so when I saw any pest, I said, well, maybe I should look into the definition of pest. According to Merriam-Webster online dictionary, the first definition of pest is an animal or insect that causes problems for people, especially by damaging crops. I think this uh, definition is incomplete since uh, weeds are not included, um, and they are pest in, uh, considered pest in agriculture. However, I think the important part here is that causes problems for people. That, um, that implies that the notion of pest is a product of human judgment i.e., what is a pest for me may not be a pest for you. Um, and I've actually a good example of that, a personal example. Um, a couple of weeks after moving to Lethbridge, my husband and I are driving, I think it was to Milk River, and we saw tumbleweed for the very first time. So we stopped the car, ran in the field, got a few, and brought them home as home decorations. <laughs> we thought they were very cute, and everybody at work, a lot of my colleagues laugh at me and saying that any sane Albertan would consider, would not consider tumbleweeds as anything other than a pest. Just to illustrate that. Um, I thought Merriam-Webster was pretty funny having that second definition there of a pest. A person who bothers or annoys other people. Then I thought anyone having little brothers and sisters would know exactly what that means. The history of pesticide and pesticide use in general is a fascinating one and could easily occupy the remainder of this presentation. Um, but if, uh, if I reduce this to the bare minimum, I think we can divide the history in three broad periods. Before 1930s, from 1930 to 1980s, and 
post-Green Revolution, so 1980s to uh, nowadays. Before 1930s, uh, basically natural waste such as ashes and salts, basic elements, copper, sulfur, lead, arsenic, uh, were used to uh, control insects and weeds. Uh, we have good um, and fairly accurate, I believe, historical accounts of, uh, for example, the Romans maintaining their roads with ashes. Um, and of course, uh, arsenic and lead are known poisons to mankind ever for a long time and have been used to control insects and some humans, I guess. Um, the first organic pesticide that was synthesized, that was dinitrophenol, and that was in the 1930s. And to me, that's the beginning of the chemical era. That uh, chemical era was actually a, a period for organic, from an organic chemistry point of view, was a period of immense hope and potential. Basically, the, the belief was that chemistry could solve any problem, be it for cleaning agents, wood preservatives, and of course, pesticides. And a lot of the pesticides that were developed uh, in that era, such as DDT and 2,4-D, uh, the fungicide captain, they're still used nowadays. Um, and it was a period too, uh, in compass of course, the Second World War, where a lot of chemical warfare agents were developed. And uh, some of these products, were used as agricultural pesticides subsequently. It was also a, a great period for organic chemistry. Uh, simply, they, they basically produced or put on the market pesticides almost every single year. So a lot of new products coming on the market. That um, chemical era led into the Green Revolution, and uh, pesticides have been uh, a huge contribution to that Green Revolution. Uh, from two point of view. The first one is increase of food production. So areas of the globe that typically were not considered uh, amenable to large-scale agriculture, thanks to pesticides, were able to suddenly become newly found food baskets. So uh, food production increased significantly and uh, starvation decreased. The second contribution of pesticides through the Green Revolution was definitely uh, the control of uh, insect-borne diseases, such as malaria, uh, which saved thousands of lives. Now, I'm not sure that cartoon would be very popular nowadays, <laughs> at least not in North America. In 1962, uh, there was a book published called Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, and I'm sure most of you are aware of this, uh, of this book. It's considered the trigger event of the modern environmental movement. Um, this book led to debates about pesticides in general, pesticide use, pesticide hazards to the environment. It also led governments to start uh, regulating the use of pesticides. From my point of view, the, the message uh, that Ra Rachel Carson, if you read that book, it's the indiscriminate use of pesticides should be um, Rachel Carson basically said that the indiscriminate use of pesticides could harm the environment and had to be questioned. Um, we often hear about the pesticide controversy. Really, uh, more and more in the literature, uh, we call we talk about we talk about pesticide paradox, because really it is, on one hand, 
pesticides that save thousands of lives. They increase food production. And really, they have raised our living standards to, for all of us. On the other hand, they contaminate our environment. We know they have potential, has their potential hazards to human health, animal health, environmental health. So really, it is a risk versus benefits issue. Um, there's a philosopher called John Danley that published a paper called Balancing Risk, Mosquitoes, Malaria, Morality, and DDT. And I believe it's 2002. And um, it, it's, if you have a chance to read this paper, I consider it's, it's actually pretty good. And it discusses the, uh, the risk, risk trade-offs trade and safety with regards to, for example, pesticide use and DDT. So he uses DDT as his example. And what he says is that in our, uh, when it, as a general public, we believe we can eliminate, eliminate a risk. What John Danley says is really, there is no such thing as risk elimination. Even risk reduction is really a transfer of the risk. So for people in North America, removing DDT from the market, because we don't have uh, malaria being prevalent here, is not a big issue. But for people in developing countries where malaria is prevalent, removing DDT from the market is a huge issue. So really, it's all about risk and benefits to society. Pesticide use worldwide. Um, basically, uh, the current estimates are for 2.4 billion kilograms of pesticide active ingredients used uh, on Earth. The application rates are typically higher in developing countries for several reasons. Uh, less education, less training, less technology. Uh, the application rates tend also to be higher for uh, valuable crops that are under heavy uh, pest pressures. So you need more treatments more often. Um, Africa is the region of the globe where the pesticide use is the lowest uh, in terms of kilograms per uh, hectare of arable. Land. I have a hard time with this word. Um, I'm obviously, <laughs> my first language is French, obviously. I'm sure you've all guessed that already. <laughs> and um, the overall trend is pesticide use is increasing. That's in part due to developing countries, uh, such as uh, countries in Latin America, Asia, Eastern Europe, whereas in North America, uh, the overall pesticide use is fairly stable. Um, pesticide use trends in North America. Um, pesticide use increased from 1960s to 1980s. I think uh, that was part of the chemical era, Green Revolution. Um, the trend has been fairly stable uh, since then. Uh, the main difference, actually, is that since the 2000s, we've seen uh, increased, um, increasing acreage of uh, genetically modified crops. And uh, so what happened is that we're using fewer chemicals, but we're using more of those. So the total amount or volume of pesticide active ingredients used are fairly similar, but the number of chemical use is lower. Pesticides in Alberta, which I'm sure you're probably more interested in. Um, just to give an example about uh, the, the, the impact of genetically modified crops on uh, the pesticide use. Currently, uh, the, that's the last estimate is from 2008 from Gary Burris at Alberta Environment and Sustainable Resource Development. 
um, and he does a compilation of all the, uh, the total pesticide sales for Alberta. And in 2008, glyphosate only uh, alone represented 50% of the uh, sales of pesticides in this province. Um, just to show some of the trends, the pesticide trends in Alberta, uh, I'm using a paper from Anne-Marie Anderson, uh, who was also with uh, Alberta Environment and Sustainable Resource Development. Uh, it's actually a, comp a compilation or an overview of the pesticide data for surface waters in Alberta since 1995. And some of her conclusions, uh, the conclusions of her report are the following. Uh, first of all, pesticide detections are not only common, they are widespread. Um, typically, in Alberta, we detect, uh, the detection frequency is higher for herbicides, and then lower for insecticides, and even lower for fungicides. And uh, this is uh, directly related to pesticide use in Alberta and uh, across the Canadian prairies. 2,4-D is uh, the compound most frequently detected in surface waters in Alberta. And again, I would say probably in the Canadian prairies. Um, 50 to 80% of water samples may uh, have been found to uh, have measurable amounts of 2,4-D. It really depends on the type of water that you're, you're analyzing. So groundwater, surface water, rivers and stream, irrigation water, storm water will all have different percentages. But overall, 50 to 80% of water samples contain 2,4-D. Another uh, very interesting conclusion from uh, Amory Anderson's report is that we as a, um, collectivities, uh, cities like Ledbridge, for example, do have an impact on water quality. Um, actually, uh, for North America, I believe the numbers are 80% of pesticide use is for agriculture and 20% is for non-agricultural setting. And we have to remember that in, for non-agricultural -agri settings, so your, our home, our lawns, our gardens, the application rates tend to be higher than what agriculture application rates are. So we do have uh, an impact and as citizens, uh, it, it, it can make a difference. Pesticides often make it to the, to the news, typically not for good reasons. Um, this year and the last, actually the last few months, uh, we've heard of organic produce being contaminated with pesticides. We've heard of uh, the impact of neonicotinoids on bees. We've also heard about pesticide resistance, especially uh, with regards to glyphosate. In the scientific literature for Alberta and the, the prairies, uh, we've, uh, we can read frequently about pesticides being found in the snow, pesticides being found in wetlands, in the air, in rivers and streams. Um, there's a good group at the University of Alberta uh, that was led by David Schindler. Uh, they published a few papers, for example, about the presence of organochlorine pesticides that are stored in glacial ice. And when that ice melts, there are pesticides in that water. Um, very good people, uh, scientists from Environment Canada, uh, working on wetlands from Saskatoon, and they found uh, wetlands to contain pesticides as well. Uh, several reports from Alberta Environment and uh, Sustainable Resource Development uh, have shown that air and um, uh, precipitation, rivers and streams, uh, do have uh, pesticides findings as well. So, how do we achieve better and smarter pest control? Uh, obviously, it's, it's no easy task. 
uh, and there's no silver bullet that will solve all the issues. Um, the industry is uh, trying to produce more specific, low, lower use rate and environmentally benign pesticides. More specific meaning not affecting non-target species or lower impact. Low use rate, uh, you can think of sulfonylurea herbicides, you're only using grams per hectare. So very, very low application rates for these products. And environmentally benign uh, pesticides that act quickly degrade quickly. They don't stay around in the environment. They reduce pressures that may develop resistance or lead to the development of resistance. From a producer's point of view and, and agricultural production point of view, IPM or integrated pest management is probably the most, uh, the, the most viable option. And we have to keep, so using instead of, it doesn't mean completely um, eliminating the use of pesticides, but rather use pesticides in conjunction with physical means, cultural means, and biological means of pest control. So thereby reducing, again, pressures from a, one, a single angle of pest control. And we have to remember, we have to do all this while supporting the sustainable production of food, of feed, of fiber, for a growing population on the globe. So it's, it's definitely no easy task. What are the challenges that we are facing in terms of pesticide use? Again, pesticide resistance is definitely uh, one of the major challenges. It's actually believed that pesticide resistance will dictate what pesticide use trends will be over the next 40 years. Um, and uh, more and more we're finding, uh, I think, I believe for herbicides, there are 25 modes of action. And currently, if you look at the Weed Science Society of America website, they list that 22 of these modes of action have been, uh, they have had cases reported for resistance. So the options are, are in terms of pesticides, the options are, are rapidly decreasing. Again, sustainable food production. Um, we need more food for more people. That means more uh, land to be uh, transformed for production. That means most likely more pesticide use. How can we address this in the future? And of course, climate change. What will be the impact of climate change on pesticide use? Uh, current trends are showing that for Alberta, um, climate change might be a good thing in terms, again, of pesticide use, might be a good thing for wheat. So wheat would uh, need require less pesticides, but it would be a bad thing for, uh, it could affect soybeans in a negative way. So soybeans would require more pesticide treatments. Um, so, it's, from now and beyond, what, what do we do? How do we, uh, do we address these challenges? Um, there's this excellent paper by David uh, Tillman, and actually David Schindler is also a, a, an author on this paper that was published in Science in 2001. And what they um, basically did is kind of an ecological forecasting, trying to understand what will be the impacts of agriculture on the environment over the next 50 years. They published in 2001, so I guess we have 40 years left of that, uh, those predictions or that forecast. What they said is that the, until 2050, that represents the final period of agricultural expansion in the world. And if we want to, again, uh, feed that growing population, then there's going to be a significant transformation of natural ecosystems. 
So more land will have to be used for agriculture to produce that food. And of course, more pesticides would be used. At least that was their uh, conclusion. Um, I really like their final conclusion, which was all this to address the chal these challenges, to address the concerns, will require significant scientific advances, regulatory, technological, and policy changes. And as a society, we have to ask ourselves, are we ready to do this? Um, and I, I guess their overall conclusion was that what we need is not a green revolution, but a greener revolution, much, much greener, considering the environment, considering um, the population, considering food production altogether. Uh, there's this really good paper by uh, Hillux um, called Farming with Fewer Pesticides, the uh, EU Pesticide Review, Resulting Challenges for UK Agriculture. And uh, I really um, enjoyed reading this paper, and the, the conclusions of the author are the following. Um, and again, it's in the, U, in the context of the, the, the British context. Britain and other uh, European Union states are faced with having to produce more food profitably and sustainably using fewer pesticides while trying to avoid steep price increases. The future of British agriculture will be a challenging one, relying on fewer active ingredients, with the consequent greater risk of pesticide resistance in the target pest. Farmers will require deeper understanding of IPM, integrated pest management, and access to information and technical support. And I would add that scientific knowledge as well. And this, I think this situation applies well to Alberta, Canada, and anywhere in the world. As a conclusion, um, concerns about the impacts of pesticides on health and the environment do exist. Uh, they were there 50 years ago. They are present now. And I think, obviously, uh, with the trends we're seeing, it will not cease. So uh, it's been a huge debate over the last century. I think uh, there's every indication that the debate will continue in this century. Agriculture faces numerous challenges uh, regarding pesticide use, and uh, including pesticide resistance. And uh, I strongly believe that better, smarter approaches are required to address these uh, issues and these challenges. And I believe this is all. Mm.